time Your time has come Super Bowls What an amazing achievement But it's getting old Please move the f*** on Welcome to the Walder Sportscast With your host, Chris Walder Welcome everyone to episode 5 of the Walder Sportscast. My name is Chris Walder. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. On today's episode, I'm going to be joined by Rachel Bonetta, the host of Fox Sports' Lock It In. She's also worked for Toronto FC, MLS, YTV in Canada, you name it. So shout out to LinkedIn for keeping all of that information together for me. But it's awesome to see how far she's come on air and to see everything that she's accomplished. The the two of us attended Seneca College together maybe eight or nine years ago. She's one of the nicest and most humble people I know. So I'm extremely happy and fortunate that we get to catch up and that she's made time to chat with me on the show. But before I bring Rachel on, though, as always, I have to give a little bit of a plug for my show. So if you haven't already, be sure to check out my last episode where I chatted with Spectrum Sports 360's John Alba, uh, an old colleague of mine from our days at WrestlingRumors.net and an uh, Emmy Award winner, just like Rachel. We, we talked about professional wrestling, some Orlando Magic basketball, and he was even gracious enough to walk me through his daily hair routine, which, if you've seen John, is important information to have because his hair is next level. So give that episode a listen and leave a rating and review if you like what you hear. But after this short break, I'll be talking it up with Rachel Benetta, so keep it locked. Joining me now is Rachel Bonetta, the host of Fox Sports' Lock It In. She's also worked for Toronto FC, Major League Soccer, YTV, Kick TV, The Buzzer, you name it, with an overall LinkedIn resume that's the stuff of legends. Rachel, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks, man. You just made me so tired even just like listening off all of those things that I've done. It was a lot it's, scrolling through that page. <laughs> it's been a wild ride. Do I still have a LinkedIn? Like you actually looked at a, a LinkedIn? It still exists, yes. Wow. And even that probably needs updating. Um, <laughs> thanks for having me, dude. I this I gotta say this is like the most excited that I've been to do a podcast in quite some time. I'm really excited to just like catch up with an old friend, you know? Yes, exactly. I mean, you and I go way back, Rachel. We were both in the same classes at Seneca College. We both took mm -hmm. broadcast journalism together. What do you remember most about your time there? Are there like any fond memories you have from being in the program, or is it all just oh, a blur to you at this point? I have so many good memories about. Being at Seneca, I will say I did not graduate, so you got that. Uh, uh, you got one up on me. Really? Um, yeah, dude, I I bowed out. Wow. I was I wasn't at graduation. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> I wasn't there either. To be fair. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of memories. I really, I don't. I gotta assume that you were there, but we had an improv class. Do you remember that? I yeah, I do remember that. Yes, I forget the teacher's name, but that was one of the classes I I actually remember like enjoying thoroughly. That was basically the reason why 
I like loved started started to love acting and like comedy is like I was in that class I think that's got to be the first time I was in any kind of acting class or improv or anything because we didn't even have drama in my high school and I was in that class and that class was the reason I dropped out is because I was going to go back I was working with our teacher whom I don't remember either (laughs) (laughs) Which I probably should if I'm saying that she was a big part of a transition in my life. But uh, I was working with her and we were working on theater schools that I could apply for. Because I was I made the decision I was going to drop out of broadcast journalism. And I was going to switch over into the, a theater program either at like York or I had no idea. Um, and so that that's like a huge memory for me is like going into that improv class and being like, whoa, this feels silly and stupid and I'm obsessed with it. Like, I don't know what this is, but it feels better than reading a teleprompter. I can tell you that. (laughs) Do you remember when, do you remember when the two of us did that, um, the play-by-play commentary for the OFSA, was it the men's volleyball championship match? There's like this video that has haunted me because I played volleyball. I love volleyball. I get so into it. There was like this men's team. I can't remember who was playing, but some guy had like a, a gnarly hit and I got really excited about it and was like, oh my God, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and so many people sent that to me being like, this is not a good hit. <laughs> I was just like so into it in the moment. But yes, I definitely remember doing that whole volleyball tournament. That was so much fun. That YouTube video was the stuff of legends because if you look at the comments, it's just basically people saying that the commentators are yelling into the microphones for a good hour. <laughs> we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We, we went in there cold. probably didn't even work. Exactly. They just put us there behind the seats and they were like, just do commentary. Here's some uh, heights and and weights of the players. Here's some of their skill sets and just wing it. And my God, what a disaster that was. We were, oh, I would pay, I would actually pay pretty good money to like go back and watch a full broadcast because like we were just tap dancing the whole time. I I don't know if I have the guts to go back and watch that, unfortunately, but I would like to credit that as like the setting off point for uh, well, especially your career. I mean, me, I, I still need to get on your level, but my God, that's the that's the birthplace of the, the Rachel Benetta in the sports industry. I wasn't even into sports. The only reason I enjoyed doing that is because it was volleyball and because like the guys that were playing, like one of them was my boyfriend. So, oh, okay. um, you know, I, I had, I was just like, this is awesome. I would be here anyways. But for me, like sitting behind, in that chair, I was just like, I don't want to do this. Like I'm not into sports. I'm going to drop out. Like this is not for me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I never even finished. But you were like a, you were a star athlete for this thing. That photo that you recently posted (laughs) on Twitter is like marketing for this show. I was like, what a dive by Benetta. I was not that good. Um, I feel like our team really sucked. Like it was just like a gang of outcasts. Like I was fail. I, I did this seminar for mental health for, uh, like a, like the big East or something like that a couple of years ago. And because um, I'm like, I speak out about mental health and all that stuff. And I showed my first semester transcript. Oh, because like everyone at the seminar was like coaches and stuff like that. And it was about how you kind of like help your athletes balance their, you know, playing a sport and balance being a student and also making sure their mental health is like in check. And I showed them my first se- uh, first semester transcripts and it was all F's, dude. It was, what? I was failing everything. Yeah. I like, real, I got it together in the second semester of my first year, but right. I was failing everything. My dad had just died like literally that year. Okay. Um, 
and uh, I moved away from home for the first time, and it was just like super heavy. So like that, I saw, I, and I was just like not playing good volleyball. I was just like such a mess. I was depressed. I had anxiety. I was like, what the hell am I doing? Going to school for broadcast journalism, right? Um, and uh, so yeah, it was just like a ragtag. And I remember like other girls on my team were like going through the same thing. So it was just like a ragtag pe- like team of people who didn't actually want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, like it was your time at Seneca that it, that did help you. I mean, it was eight years ago when you uploaded that video trying to secure that Toronto FC dream job, which was to be the, the brand ambassador for Toronto FC, I believe. You shot it all at Seneca College. You even had yep. one of our, our former classmates, Olivia, as an actress. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, when you made that submission, how confident were you at the time that you would ultimately get that job? And could you have ever imagined what working for Toronto FC would eventually help propel you towards in the industry? I wasn't confident at all. I was kind of just doing it because I loved doing sketches and like writing sketch comedy. And I had done that since like I was young. Um, and so for those of you that don't know, I found this job ad on Facebook right after I dropped out and was getting ready to go back to school for theater. Found this ad on Facebook being like Toronto FC is looking for uh, an in arena host, a brand ambassador. It was called like the dream job. And I was on my way out at Seneca, but I still had access to cameras, editing suites, all that stuff, which like without Seneca, I want that. This is just end up going to end up being like a commercial for Seneca, isn't it? Without yeah, Seneca, I would not be able to edit and like shoot my own stuff and write and know how to use like any of the software. So like I wouldn't be where I am without that school for sure, even though I didn't finish. So education is important. Um, <laughs> but I was not confident at all because I was kind of just like doing it on a whim. I didn't know anything about soccer besides the fact that like my brother liked Arsenal and I used to watch them when I was young. But other than that, I didn't know. I sent in this sketch, this like why you should hire me. They thought it was so weird and they loved it. And they called me in for an interview. I literally had the captain's name, Torsten Frings, written on my hand. Because <laughs> I was like, just in case they ask me anything, I will be able to say that name. And they'll think that I know something. I'm just going to like bullshit my way through this whole thing. And they bought it. And I won. And I beat out over like 500 people for this job. And um the rest is history. It's pretty insane that all these windows and doors started opening for me. All of a sudden I was getting a job offer from New York City, which sounds crazy. And it was at the time. And then I moved there. And then within a year of working for a major league soccer, I got a call from Fox being like, hey, do you want to move out to L.A.? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, when can I do it? <laughs> well, did you ever find yourself overwhelmed at any stage of this journey? Because it seems like you were transitioning into new roles constantly, like moving from Toronto to New York to Los Angeles. Like that could be a lot to digest at once for one person. I think I've always been really good at just like keeping my head down and just like doing it. We had, um, I had a boss once named John McCauley and he once told me after I had left Toronto FC, after I, I think I was maybe even like living in New York and I came back to Toronto for like some event, uh, Toronto FC was in the MLS cup. That's what it was. And he pulled me aside and he's just like, you are on a ladder and you keep on climbing that fucking ladder until you cannot climb anymore. And I was just like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep on going until I cannot go anymore. And so I feel like I've always just had my eyes on a prize. And when I get that prize, I have my eyes on another prize. And it's just like this dream just keeps on growing and growing and growing. And I'm like, I'm just like an energizer bunny. Like I'm, I'm, I can't stop. I can't stop thinking about ideas. I can't stop pitching shows. I can't stop like 
meeting with people and having phone calls and I'm just like always, always, always going and always on and it sounds exhausting and it is. Um, but that's just like how, I, I, I don't know, I guess that's just like how I made, like I, I'm just like always working towards something. So I guess it never hit me that I was like in New, in New York City on the Upper East Side finding an apartment for myself at like 21 and like living alone and paying so much in rent that I couldn't even like, I had to like eat macaroni and cheese all the time. And then like moving to Los Angeles by myself and knowing literally no one out here, like it, looking back on it, I'm like, holy shit, how did I, how did I do that? <laughs> but I think it's because I just kept my head down and I just like focused on my work and found my people and took classes and, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I, I always like to think that my dad guides me too, that he, you know, puts me in situations that I need to be in to grow. And, and I kind of like always know that he's there watching over me. So everything's going to be all right. I know it sounds so lame and cheesy, but no, not at all. It's, it's true. I, I remember I was watching a, a past interview that you did and you, you mentioned that you wrote on a piece of paper that when you were like 12 or 13 years old, that you were going to live in New York city by the time you were 21 or 23. Do you still have that piece of paper? I do. I do. It's in my bedside table actually. I have it. It's like written in red ink. My next door neighbor signed it too, like as a witness. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, I wrote it when I was so young. I just had this fascination with like New York City and LA and like actors and movies. And um, and so I always just, I've, I've always dreamed about being here and being in New York City. And when it was finally, when it finally came true, I honestly had forgotten about it. And my mom found it and like a bunch of keepsake things and sent it to me, just like cold sent it to me in the mail. And I, I opened it, I was like, oh, that's nice. My mom sent me like a card or something like that. And I opened it and I was just like, holy shit. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that's it, what moms like, are really good at is keeping old memorabilia, old like pictures that you drew or little notes. Like they never throw that stuff out. They know it's gonna like come back into play at some point and just like mean the world to you. So I'm, I'm totally gonna frame it and like, make sure it's like a, in a very important part in my house right along to like, she also sent me a ton, every news clip, every newspaper that printed a story about the Raptors when they were in the playoffs, I have all of them <laughs> because my mom sent me every single one. Oh, you have to frame all of that stuff. There's, there's a couple of frames, but we actually just got a, we got a house. Oh, congratulations. Like crazy move. Um, so I'm planning on doing like a crazy office that has like all of that stuff. What, what are some of the major differences you've noticed between living in New York City and then heading to a city like Los Angeles? Because I've visited each city once and they're polar opposites, both literally and figuratively, of course. Yeah. Um, I partied a lot more in New York. <laughs> I would go out way, 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 way more than in LA. I don't know if it's just because it's like a, a you know, you kind of have to drive to like get to places. So it's like, I don't want to be in an Uber all the time. And so um, that's definitely number one. Also, I was younger and single and being like, Woo, I live in New York. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, it's just like a slower, I feel like I work a lot more in Los Angeles. Um, because it's just like, you're just like home more and you're kind of just, you're not really thinking about like going out and partying or at least I'm not, that's just like not a focus in my life. So maybe like working more and healthier. I work out all the time, like typical lame California stuff. I do, I do all of it, but yeah, those are, those are the major differences. Partying. Is it true? Is it true that ESPN made a play to hire you prior to you going to Fox sports? 
It is true. It is. I got an offer from ESPN and Fox within like six months of being at Major League Soccer, which was pretty crazy. Uh, so you get to Los Angeles, you're doing a ton of digital content for Fox Sports prior to becoming the host of Lock It In when you're at the buzzer. How much creative freedom do you have with, with your videos at the time? Did you pretty much have free reign with any ideas you conjured up? You could do whatever you wanted at that point? Yeah, working for Fox Digital was honestly like such a, a light. It was so much fun. I could like go with them, go to them with any idea and they'd be like, sure like let's let's do it let's throw it against the wall if it sticks great if not on to the next one and that was really where i like honed in on the skill of like writing because i was like constantly writing buzzer scripts constantly writing sketch ideas and sketch scripts and then um i was able to do like some live stuff on the digital side too which i think like definitely made me improve my skills right um but yeah i had total creative freedom and it was so cool to be like one of the only women in there and just like having mostly male bosses being like, yes, your ideas are awesome. Go for it. Let's keep on writing. And I actually have a tattoo of a light bulb on my wrist basically because of that like era of my life to tell me like my ideas are good and my ideas are valid and to constantly chase my ideas because that was like a moment in my life that was like, I just felt so confident in like, you know, some things don't work and that's fine, but I was like, I, this, this is what I am good at. I am not just a host. I am not just a pretty face. I am somebody with a brain that is funny that can like write stuff. It was a really cool moment in like a couple of years for me. Yeah, that must have been very uplifting for you to have that kind of backing for the company that you worked for to say, hey, these guys really believe in me. I just want to go full speed ahead with these ideas that I have. Yeah, I think for a long time, I kind of felt like a fraud in the sports industry because, you know, I'd gone to Toronto FC and like obviously when you're in it every single day, you learn very quickly. I knew every single guy on the team. I knew where I knew what was going on. And then when I went to Major League Soccer, you know, you learn. But I think for a really long time, I was kind of like always afraid that people were going to like find me out, like find me out to be some kind of like sports fan fraud. And I and I feel like for for the first time, I was just like, no, I'm not. I know what I'm talking about. I am smart. I, I know what this is and I no longer have to be like in hiding almost. So it was really cool to have bosses be like, yeah, do what you want. Like we buy into you. We have invested in you. Um, so honestly, like Fox Digital was like part some of the best years. It was so fun. Seriously though, how hard was it for you not to fangirl when you interviewed Will Ferrell back in 2016? I honestly, Chris, I blacked out that day. <laughs> I can still remember walking over to where I had to interview him and just looking at my producer, Ryan, who had become like, you know, he's like family to me and being like, I don't know if I can do this. And he's just like, you're about to interview Will Ferrell. Like, yes, you fucking have to. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I need to go into like some other mode for me to be able to do this, like without crying, without fangirling, without being like a total idiot. And I just like turned out the lights somehow and, and went in and I just like, I, I blacked out and was just like improv. I was normal. I was fine. I was not that nervous. He was so nice and so funny and, and so gracious. And that obviously helped so much, but also the tough thing about when I was at Fox digital, that was when Facebook Live was like a new thing. Right. And we had a deal that every live video that we did with them had to be 10 minutes. 
So not only am I going to interview Will Ferrell, I need to keep this going for 10 minutes, which I maybe to people listening to oh, 10 minutes, that's nothing. But you don't know what this interview is going to be like. He might want to be on the way out. He might have promised us two minutes. And then that means I have to tap dance for eight. So it, there was a, so many things going on and I was so scared that I, I literally just had to turn the lights out and just be like, you need to become a robot right now and you just need to go and do your job. 10 minutes feels like an eternity when you're in front of the camera, especially when you kind of have to extend that time, like you said, and exactly. it's Will Ferrell. I don't think I could have made it the entire duration. Yeah, it was fine. He was so fun and he was like riffing with me and I made him laugh. So that was a, that was a highlight. But well, That's a uh, notch on your belt. I know, right? Put that right <laughs> next to my Emmy somehow. Uh, but it was, uh, he was awesome. It was great. Obviously you've, you've found success in both, but do you have a personal preference between doing strictly digital content or being in front of the camera for a television show like Lock It In? Ooh, that's a good question because like I built my career off of digital, so I can't ever like leave that. I don't think. And, and also I just feel like that's the future, like, you know, but there's something about live television, maybe I used to hate it. <laughs> I used to absolutely hate it and dread it and just be so afraid of like saying the wrong thing, but it's fun. It is a rush when those lights come on and they're giving you the countdown in your ear. And I think with our show, it's, it's just so much fun because we all laugh and we joke. And I think it'd be very hard to do like a very structured, not, not that our show isn't structured, but like a very like, you know, serious, straightforward show. Whereas mm -hmm. like, if somebody says, if I say the wrong thing, they're going to shit all over me. And then I can go, I can throw it right back to them. So it's kind of like that pressure is off to be, obviously you want to get things right. And, and I work very hard on doing that because, you know, of my past. Um, but uh, yeah, live, live TV is just, there's something, there's something about it. You, you have a wardrobe team, you have hair, you have makeup who have all become like some of my best friends. So going to work every day is like such a joy. Um, and I miss it. I miss being on TV. It's uh, it's a rush. It truly is. So I don't know how to answer that question. I would say I, I love them both equally. So how's the experience of doing Lock It In during this COVID-19 pandemic been for you and your team? Because you guys are discussing a lot of football at this time, of course, and it looks like it's basically a giant Zoom call. And you're never really around Todd, Sal, and Clay anyway. So what kind of adjustments have you had to make? Yeah, I mean, that hasn't really changed. I, I miss seeing Sal every single day because he's he's a really good friend of mine and we would have lunch every day and gossip and... So that's been a, like a major bummer, but it's been really nice to see those guys every single day. And they're, we're all spread apart. Like Todd's in Vegas, Clay's in either in like Florida or Nashville. I don't know where the hell he is. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, Sal's here in LA. So yeah, it's we're doing the best that we can to like stay in front of people. It's, it's tough. I have no idea what the plan is, but I think we're all just trying to like stay safe and kind of keep it on lockdown until we know that we can move forward. But it, I, I just really miss everybody. I miss going into work and getting my makeup done and, um, you know, hanging out with my friends and having lunch and that just, um, it, it, it stinks, but I'm very grateful that all of us, you know, still have a, a place to call home because there's a lot of people that aren't, you know, in a position to say that, which is really, really sad. Yes. Um, so super grateful uh, and eager to get back, but I think they made the right decision with holding off. Do you have any funny cousin Sal stories from when the cameras aren't on? <laughs> oh God! That he you can say. <laughs> he will hit your car at any moment. Like you constantly. I got a for the first time in my life. I bought something fancy. I got a fancy car. I don't 
have anything else fancy. I don't even spend money on clothes, but I was just like, I have never owned, I've owned one other car. It was like a Mazda, whatever. And I was like, I just, I want a nice car, whatever. Um, and that shithead will, <laughs> he'll, if we're like driving to a shoot or whatever, and I'm parked and he pulls in, he will inch like within a millimeter of the car and be like, Oh, like with his car, like oh, as no. if he's going to hit my car. So there's a lot of that. There's also one time, I mean, there, there's a million stories that we can tell. There was one time where we were all like meeting for one of the first times for a shoot of sorts. And Todd, we're, we're not often in the same place. And when we do, we like go all out. The four of us go out for dinner that are like, it's like hours long. It's great. We have so much fun. And uh, one of the first times that we all were together, Todd had just gone and gotten a huge sandwich with like a million things in it for some reason. I can't remember what it was. And he was just like, oh, hey, guys. And Sal just like slow motion slapped it out of his hand and onto the ground for oh, no reason. Come on. For no, it, it's just like, I don't understand what happens in that brain of his, but... It was funny. It was funny, but it was it was uh, pretty shocking. Like one of the first times that we were all together. Anyways, there's a million other stories, but those are the top. Well, now I have to ask you what car you bought for yourself. Ugh, I got a Tesla. Oh, you got a Tesla. I would have very, never pegged you for a Tesla person. Very California. Yeah, well, we were looking for like electric cars because we wanted something that was like good for the environment because in LA, sure. it's like, so I'm looking out my window right now and I can see smog. It's just like everywhere and it's just like feels icky and gross and there's so many people in their cars we really wanted to get an electric car and that was just the one that we decided on i know it's lame whatever no it's not lame at all you're cool. doing it for the environment that's very noble it's like a cool robot so it's, oh, it's, it's a cool robot that should be their slogan for tesla <laughs> get, get our cool robots podcast game now welcome yeah. to the show you know you have the hall of shame podcast with rachna who was a writer for parks and rec and fresh off the boat how the two of you get together for the show and what was the inspiration behind leaning towards some of the bigger scandals in sports history like why did you guys choose that subject matter um well i was actually looking to do a podcast but i wasn't sure i didn't necessarily want to do like an interview podcast because i feel like we were talking about this before there's like a lot of people in that space and i didn't necessarily want to do like a sports update podcast because there's a lot of people in that space and i was like what is something that i can do that's going to stand out that's actually going to be like different in this world that still kind of like ties into sports because like that's just you know the world that i'm living in right now mm -hmm. uh and i was listening to my favorite murder which i don't know if you've ever heard but um, it's basically these two women who are very funny. They go back in time and they talk about like murders that happened and they somehow make it like funny and digestible and, and whatever. And I was like, what if I did this, but in the sports world and instead of murders, I do scandals because there are a million scandals in the sports world. This could be so fun. And so I, I wrote up like a one sheet on like what my idea was. I had no idea what I was doing. I think I even had to Google what, what a one sheet was. Um, which is basically just like a pitch, kind of like what the show looks like for those of you that don't know what that is. Sure. Um, 
And uh, I sent it to my agents and then my agents were like, okay, um, we can like try and see if there's any interest and we can send it around town. And I ended up having like 20 meetings with different production companies because so many people were interested in it. And I was just like, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> and so all last summer I was home in Canada when we were on hiatus from our show. And I was having meeting after meeting and pitching the show over and over and over again. And everyone was into it. And it felt so good. It was like the first thing that I had come up with on my own that was like, you know, belonged to me and people were buying into it. And then my the last meeting that I had was with Crooked Media, which I love Pod Save America, but I was like, this is like a more of a political platform. Like, I don't know if this is going to fit here necessarily. And then... Um, I just had the best meeting. I walked in, it was a room full of women and I loved everything that they were saying. We got along so well and I was like, this is it. This is the home that I, I, I want to sign this deal. Let's do it. And then we had to find my partner. So Russia didn't come in until a little bit later. We had so many auditions. Uh, so many people came in and, and did a full, full episode. So like we, we did so many pilot tests. Um, so by the time we were like ready to do it, I was like, I, I got this. Uh, and then she came in and she was so cool. She was just so cool and so funny. And, you know, she's got kids and has a little bit of a different, like, not a different view on the world, but she's like got different experiences than I have. And I just thought it would be really cool to have somebody that was, um, you know, just like in a different place on the other side of the table uh as me and and we just had such great chemistry and she's so funny and so we decided to go with Rechna and she was into it thankfully even though she's like a big fancy writer um and had never done podcasts before and uh she's right. been so great and it's been such a fun partnership and the scandals have been just so so fun to research we're doing Tiger Woods next week I cannot wait well, we see any Toronto Raptors content coming from the podcast in the near future, but oh. we're a fairly scandal-free organization, I must say. But if you ever wanted so. to go the Vince Carter route, I'd be all for it. Ooh, I would love to do like a, a deep dive into Vince Carter. Speaking of Vince Carter, VC was my guy. Number 15. I was number 15 in volleyball for the longest time. Like I was so obsessed with him. I had the biggest crush on him when he first came to Toronto. And I was just on one of those Zoom bomb calls, you know, when like people try and see who they can get on the Zoom. Mm -hmm. And I, I bowed out early. I was like, guys, I got to go. I got to feed my dog. Guess who logged on after me? Vince Carter. Vince fucking Carter. Oh, Rachel. Devastated. What, what, what are you doing? Devastated. You miss, you miss out. That's a life-changing opportunity for you to talk to VC. I think I would have made it weird. I, I would have made it weird. I would have been like, oh, my God. I'm sure he's used to it at this point. Maybe. I don't know. But I, I really hope I get to meet him at some point. That would be so huge for me. Well, you have to start off with the podcast. That would be a nice segue, a nice introduction. It's like, we just shot, shot the hell about your career and all the time you spent in Toronto, and you should Absolutely. give it a listen. Yes, yes, for sure. That's a good oh. idea. By the way, prior to the league shutting down, what were your thoughts on the season for the Toronto Raptors were having? Personally, I was having more fun watching this year than the last one with Kawhi Leonard. To be honest, same, I was so, this is going to sound shitty, but I was like pretty prepared for us to be bad this year. Like coming off a championship that, you know, sometimes just happens. You have a little bit of a hangover. Plus we lost freaking Kawhi Leonard. But you're right. Like we played so many games without him last year and still managed to get into the playoffs. Obviously he was a big part of the reason why we got there and why we won. But I was just really proud to be honest, to see our guys still doing a great job. We went on that crazy run. Um, 
And I was excited. I was excited to watch it happen again for us to be in the playoffs and just like the entire city get behind them again. And uh, it just sucks. I keep on having things pop up on my phone being like, remember what happened on May 25th? May 25th is when we like beat the Bucks and like moved on to the final. And it was just like all these things keep on popping up and reminding me of last year. And it just like makes me it makes me happy because, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened in the first place. But it makes me bummed that we're not able to do it again this year. Do you see a potential back-to-back championship now that the league is potentially coming back, it looks like it anyway, to play their games in Disney World? Do you see another title in the Raptors' future? I don't know, dude. <laughs> I know you're in Los Angeles, so... I, I don't mean... know. There's, like, the Kawhi, there's the Lakers, the Clippers, Giannis. It would be tough. It would be tough, but guess what? It was tough last year, and I was saying the exact same things last year. I was truly saying the same like oh we're not gonna i remember when they were playing the bucks i was like you know what i'm happy i'm happy with how this has gone i'm happy we've made it this far Giannis is a perfectly good opponent to lose to he's very good basketball player the bucks are incredible after that 76ers win i was like i'm good i can die now (laughs) you Um, can never take you can never take away the championship from the raptors no matter what happens from now until the end of time we're always going to be the 2019 nba champs And that feels very good for Raptors fans like ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, having that parade and like those moments and I was there at the final crying, watching Kawhi lift that trophy, like nothing is ever going to be able to take, no one's going to take that away from me. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what's going to happen. I really just wanted to watch our boys play and and get into the playoffs again and have that excitement because you you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Well, Rachel, my friend, we're drawing to a close here, but before we sign off, I just want to shoot some rapid-fire questions your way, if that's all right with you. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So I'm a huge professional wrestling fan, so my worlds were colliding when I watched those wrestling with your feelings skits you did with a number of WWE superstars. First off, which one of those videos did you have the most fun doing? And second, how much of it was ad-lib? Because it seemed like a good chunk of it was just off-the-cuff improv. That's that's a hard question. It was all improv, actually. The only thing that I had written down was the maybe a couple of things here and there. Cause like I wasn't a big wrestler. I, I I mean now I love wrestling. Like I've been to a couple of live events and I'm like, oh my god, this is like God's gift. Like this is so much fun. But going into that, they really had me be a part of it because it was in Toronto and they knew that I was a big Toronto girl and um, they they wanted something funny and so I came up with this concept. I was just like, what if we built this like rad set that kind of looked like a therapist's office and I I sit down and I do like a therapy session. And so they would send me a couple of, but I, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about any of these guys, minus like the Charlottes and, and you know, the, the big ones. Um, but I, I had no idea. So they sent me a couple of point form notes about people like, um, and, and I just really wrote maybe the first question like, oh, I hear you have daddy issues to Charlotte or like, oh, Becky here you have anger issues or like what you know whatever that lead off was those were the only things that were written and it was so cool to see the wrestlers just come out guns of blazing like their improv was so phenomenal that we had to stop sometimes because i was the one that was breaking and laughing (laughs) and it was just so fun to see them because they were probably like not that 
wrestling is scripted, but if it was, then, you know, they would probably really enjoy being off off the cuff and just like loosey goosey. And so I think that they had a lot of fun too. And we kept on hearing, we went through like 35 wrestlers. Like the ones that you haven't seen probably aren't even, probably aren't even half the ones that we shot. Um, but we kept on, when people would come in, they'd be like, oh, everyone's talking about you guys downstairs. Like, what is this? So it was really cool as the days went by to be like, everyone was talking about our like little station on the media tour. Um, and people were like legitimately excited to come in and film. So it was cool. My favorite person to film with, um, uh, I mean, Becky and Charlotte were really rad. I was just like, holy shit, that's, that's like pretty cool. Even, even not even being a wrestling fan, I knew who they were. So that was, that was neat. Um, oh, there's this guy, he was like the, the, I want to say like AEW champion or like he was and a man. Was it Adam, Adam Cole? Cole? Adam, Adam Cole. Adam Cole. There you go. Adam Cole was so fun. And he was the one that I had to stop down and laugh for because he's, he's very silly. Um, but seeing all the guys, I was just getting a kick out of, it, out of it. Seeing all the guys come in in their gotchis, like in their one piece speedos, and they carry around these spray bottles so they constantly look like they're perspiring. I was like, this is comedy. This is so fun. Like, I just had the best time. Rachel, you posted a video a little over a week ago of you giving your boyfriend a haircut, which oh, had to no. have been a nerve wracking experience. When the cameras stopped rolling, how did he handle the new look and was he able to fix it in any way? I shit, you know what, he didn't talk to me for 10 minutes. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> He's like, you're, you were doing it for the camera. You weren't paying attention. And I'm like, I promise you, this is the best haircut that I could have given you camera or no camera. I had never given anyone a haircut before. And I feel like we're all learning new skills right now because we're all, you know, in lockdown and quarantine and we got to make ends meet. But um, he actually had a, a social distance hang with a friend the very next day who fixed it for him. So I was a little disappointed. I thought it looked pretty good, but I don't think I'll be doing it again. Let's just say that. <laughs> I ask everyone this, and I know you're extremely busy these days, but when Rachel Benetta has an opportunity for some R&R, what is she binge watching in her spare time? Ooh, I just finished The Sopranos. I started from the beginning. I had never seen it before. It was the Same. greatest experience of my life. I am so, I'm, I'm like listening to Soprano podcasts now. Like, I'm so... I was obsessed. I, I just couldn't stop watching it. We would have these like big Italian dinners in our house just to like watch like eating these crazy like meatballs and garlic bread just because we wanted to like feel more in the in the show. But uh, that is that's the most recent big one, and it was a it was a doozy. That was a lot of shows to get through. I kind of want to watch it again if I'm being honest with you. So insane. <laughs> so you're from a very small town. While you moved to Toronto, you're actually from Orono. And a simple Google search taught me that less than 5,000 people actually live there. So <gasps> if, if you were describing Orono to someone that's never been there, and that's pretty much everyone, let's be honest, how would you go about it? Oh, God. Um, quiet. Uh, nothing to do. There's no bars. Um. I don't know. That's a hard place to describe. It, it's just like a like a country town. There's not a lot going on, which which I think led to the reason why me and like my brothers are so creative is because we just had to like make our own magic happen. Um, but I love it. Uh, Dan O'Toole from ESPN moved into <laughs> moved into a house in town. I was so shocked. 
that he even knew what Orno was, moved into a house in town, and I found out what house it was, and I was like, oh my god, I smoked pot for the first time in your backyard when I was in high school. <laughs> We're going that's, deep with the secrets that's here. That's <laughs> how small that town is, is that I knew exactly where he lived and actually had a memory related to his backyard. Isn't oh, jeez. That, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, is Juana Man, starring Miguel Nunez Jr. No! and Vivica A. Fox, the best no! worst movie you've ever seen? Oh, it's just the worst worst movie. I used to love this movie when I was a kid because my one of my biggest dreams when I was a kid was to be in the WNBA, which clearly didn't happen. But I loved basketball so much. Uh, and this was like one of the first movies, the only movie that I've watched that the WNBA was even in. So I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. But I had no idea how like insanely sexist and just like inappropriate it is. And I watched it for the first time, maybe like a year ago, just to like, what? I was like, what was this? Like what truly, what was this? And I was appalled. I was like, oh my God, I, this is embarrassing that I even liked this in the first place. So I would say worst, worst movie, worst, worst movie, but I did unfortunately like it at one point in time. I thought this was a really cool fact as well. Your uncle is Bruce Boudreau? Yeah. The I former head coach of the NHL's Minnesota Wild. He also had a minor role in the 1977 hockey classic Slapshot as a player I know, for I was just, we, um, I was just talking about this like last week. Uh, yeah, he was in that movie, so cool. He played for the Maple Leafs. He coached on the Capitals, the Ducks, the Wild. Um, yeah, pretty pretty weird connection there, but pretty funny. So you, for your money, Rachel, what's the greatest sports movie you've ever seen? Oh, whoa. Oh, And there's whoa. a lot to choose from. The greatest sports movie I have ever seen. For some reason, Like Mike just came to mind. Oh. With Bow a little Bow Please pick something else. <laughs> oh, it's not the best sports movie at all, but it was one that I also really loved as a kid. Oh. Is there God. a is there a Will Ferrell sports movie that sticks out in your mind? Because he's done mm. plenty of them. Mm. Not really. No. <laughs> I like oh. the figure skating one that he did. If that counts. That was um, good. Yeah, you could say that. I don't know. What's on your list? Like, what are the top three? Oh God, it's it's been so long since I've sat down and just actually watched a movie. I, I just saw um, on this game show that I was watching earlier in the day, it's called The Wall, and it was a question about Talladega Nights. And I know it's not like a classic authentic sports film, but The Shake That's and Bake, solid. it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. So Talladega Nights would be up there. I know a, a lot of people would say like, you know, uh, was it Blue Chips or something or some of these like uh, really deep basketball films, but I love Space comedies. Space Jam? Yeah, Space, Space Jam. Jam. Yeah, you get Bugs Bunny in anything. Thing. It's just, I'm going to be head over heels for it. <laughs> yeah, let's go with either Space Jam or Like Mike if you'll accept it. I'll, I'll accept it just for you, Rachel. I'll, I'll accept Thank Like you. Mike. But anyone else, if anyone has that idea of saying Like Mike, I might have to mute them for the rest <laughs> of the show. Um, Rachel, should Cheetos be considered a chip? Yes, they absolutely should. I got into a very heated conversation about this this past weekend. They are in the chip aisle. They, I know that they are a puff but they are in the chip aisle. The bags are chip bags. They are in the, it's in the same family. I feel like chips is a family and there's a lot of things that fall under it. I also consider pretzels chips. And if you disagree, I will fight you. And lastly, Rachel, you live in the Los Angeles area, but obviously your roots are north of the border. So if we ever happen to see an NBA finals between the Toronto Raptors and either the Clippers and Lake or Lakers, where will your loyalties lie? 
Oh my god, no question with the Raptors, absolutely. I've been a Raptors fan since I was a kid, and, and being able to like fall back in love with that team last year, I'm like Raptors till I die. I, it's nice having Kawhi and being able to watch him here and like watching LeBron, that's that's cool because I, I just am a basketball fan, but no question, my, my, I stay with Canada for sure. Well, Rachel, that is the correct answer. And while you're up there under the bright lights of Los Angeles, Toronto, the sixth, the home of the reigning NBA champions, that's where your loyalties lie. Rachel, thank you so much again for coming on and doing this with me. It was a blast. I'm so glad we had a chance to catch up. But before I let you go, let the listeners know where they can find you on the web. Oh, on the World Wide Web, you can follow me on Twitter at Rachel Benetta. And I'm the same on Instagram. I'm basically the same everywhere, just to make it easy for people. And you can watch me on FS1, uh, lock it in every single day. Rachel, you're the best. All the best, my friend. Take care. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And that was my interview with Rachel Benetta. Follow her at Rachel Benetta on both Twitter and Instagram. It's seriously very inspiring to see someone you went to school with and have become friends with excel in their field the way she has and to see the journey she's been on it's a prime example for anyone trying to cut their teeth in broadcasting and sports media that if you just put the work in have creative ideas and aren't shy to try new things you can make it big yourself so that was a lot of fun i really enjoyed interviewing her and hope the two of us can do this again sometime and i hope you enjoyed our chat as well and if you did please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to our show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or Podbean. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to episode five of the Walder Sportscast. A huge thanks once again to Rachel Benetta for coming on and to my audio engineer, Jason Lung, for putting in the work to make this show sound like a million bucks. That's another one in the books, so I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.